I've titled this a, a word to the church because it's really a word that each and every one of us need to hear. I remember the first time I, I ever taught on, on that idea of submission, and, and part of it's going to be wives submitting to their husbands, and I cringed because I got stink eye from almost every woman in the congregation. I think that was probably a, a natural thing to, to resist in, in that sense, that rebelliousness in us. But I also would say it has something to do with my attitude and maybe the way that I express it. And, and I think that sometimes we don't always express ourselves right. We know what we believe in our hearts, but we don't always communicate it clearly. And I'm saying that if I don't ever communicate something or something that seems wrong or a red flag goes up, I want you to know the door's open. I want you to come to me or come to a brother or come to your sister, come to your wife, come to your husband and say, you know what, I, I heard you say this. I don't know if this is the way you meant it. And give that person a chance to maybe recant if they need to, but in most cases, rephrase it. See, it's when we don't respond in these ways, we take assumption by what is written and what was said, we divide the body, we divide the relationships. We then, if we don't confront those people in a loving way, in a tender way, we say confront, well, that means get in their face. No, it doesn't mean get in their face. It means go to them in love. Because if we don't go to them in love and we harbor these things in our hearts, it gets bitter. And those relationships become divided. And see, that's one of the things that we're looking at today is relationships. You have a relationship. If you're married, you have a relationship with your wife, with your husband, with your kids. You have a relationship with your boss. God created us, and he didn't mean for us to be alone. In fact, when he created Adam, then he created woman because it wasn't good for man to be alone. And not just man. That's true. We need women. It takes a woman and a man that are in harmony really to glorify God together. But it's not good that you be alone. It's not good that you separate. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's been chipping away at the relationships and the marriages in this, this country, and the families, and it needs to stop. So where does it stop? It stops with you and it stops with me when we say we're not going to function the way the world does. And we go to the Word and we ask, God, show us how we are to live this life that glorifies you, this life the way that you intended for it to be. See, this theme is extremely sensitive and, and it's often it's avoided because of the conflict. It's just as that first time I always kind of cringed when I came up and I, I know other pastors have said the same thing and people have got up in a service and walked out. So it's extremely sensitive because it's often misunderstood and some just refuse to believe. So the question is going to become, as we look through this, what is the Bible's teaching on submission that is in marriage and those other relationships around us? Well, let's read our text and then we'll look at it more in detail it's there in verse 18. It says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, and not with extreme service, or excuse me, external service, 
as those who merely please men, but with a sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive a reward of inheritance. It is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive consequences of that wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, grant your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. What's in verse 18? We see first a word for the wives. And it says again, wives, be subject to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. See, there's a parallel of this passage back in Ephesians 5.22 and 24. We had saw that, but let me read it again. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, if you have a pencil or a marker, circle or underline that word own husbands. That's very significant. Your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body, but as the church subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. The passage is simple. The passage is clear, but yet it's widely challenged in our day, even by those who are claiming to be in evangelicals. Are there any evangelicals here? Hmm. I hope so. See, that's why I decided to to use this word, because we see these words in the news. We hear people talking about, but what does that mean? You're also Protestants. Any Protestants here? We're Protestant, but not really protesting. We just don't agree with Catholicism. See, Protestantism, let's go with that first, is a simple is simply the state of being protesting against the Roman Catholic Church, and that is their, their doctrine, their teaching. Not all of it, but a very good portion of it, in the sense that they put themselves over the authority of the Word. They can change the Word. And I'm not going to go in that whole path today. We, the difference is, pretend this is a Bible, the Bible's on here, are under the Word. We're submissive to the Word because we believe it's God's timeless Word. It's a Word to the church, and we want to follow it best of our ability, being our lives, being conformed to the Word, to the image of of Jesus Christ. stresses the importance of personal conversion and a faith as, as a means of salvation, putting our faith directly in Jesus Christ, not in a baptism and in many different things, but it's, it's really believing that we're going to share our faith. Now, the evangelical church is very diverse, but the main thing is they believe they need to give the gospel message because the gospel is what saves lives. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, Protestant, a Protestant person uh, may not be evangelical, but evangelical is a Protestant. And we'll talk about these things more as we go through, but I wanted to kind of just begin to sow seed in the direction we'll be going as we go down the road later on. Well, with that said, many argue that Paul's teaching on this topic is not spirit-inspired, but reflects his male chauvinist opinion toward women. Ladies, I don't know how much you know about, again, the Arab world and the rights that you would have. Let me tell you, you have no rights. In the majority of the cases, you're just a thing. And that's what it was like in Bible times for many people, many cultures. You were a piece of property. 
when Paul brings the gospel, the gospel sets women free. It sets us free. There is no difference in one sense, man and woman. Man is not any better than woman, and woman is no better than a man. Yet there's many women, and many men think they're better than the other. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And so it's important to look at these things through the lens of the Bible. See, people have a tendency, well, I don't like that. Get mad, and they leave. Now, you know what those are called, right? They're called nomads. They say no, and they get mad, and they're nomadic, and they go from church to church. They're not under the word. They're not listening to the word. They don't want to hear what God has to say. God created us, and today I'm going to tell you, you're equal. You know what? As a pastor, some people look up. I know I'm on this pedestal. But in reality, God loves me just the same as he loves you. And his love is perfect. And I am no better. In fact, if anything, I'm your servant. I'm your slave. By the way, does anyone want a slave? No, I'm not offering myself. But that's the life that we choose when you stop and think about it. We are to be submissive to one another in that sense. We're not to come to the Scripture and pick and choose what we want to accept and say, I don't believe that. I'm not going to talk about it. But we go to the Word and we look and see. Now, when people do this, they put themselves in a a place of authority. And they are determining what God really said and what he didn't say. And I know I'm not wise enough. But I know that God is all wise And he's able to keep this scripture to you and me today without error. It is the inspired word of God. It tells lies. It shows us liars. But it tells us truth. And it's that truth that will set you and me free. Well, the principle of authority and submission in the marriage and the relationships found in the New Testament. And let me show you. Again, Paul writes when he writes in 1 Corinthians 11.3, and that's not on the screen, don't worry. Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman. Now, this is only a position, not betterment. That, that's his responsibility. In fact, there's more responsibility put upon the man than the woman. He also penned the principle in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34 and 35. Let me just read. Let a woman keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but let them subject themselves, just as the law also says. And if they desire to learn anything, let let them ask in their own husband's home, for it's improper for a woman to speak in the church. Wow. What does that mean? In its culture, you, you had the women that sat on one side and the men sat on that side. And there's many different opinions on this. But a woman would yell across the room at her husband, what did he say? What did he mean? Their husband has this responsibility of the spiritual leader. As he learns, he is then to take and pour into his wife and love his wife and raise her up. And we'll talk about more of that in detail when we go on. So there were these disruptions. The woman is not to be the leader of the church. She is to simply come and humble. And we'll talk and build upon these things. And to Timothy, he wrote, let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. And this is important to understand, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who first created, was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman who, being Deceived fell into transgression. Again, it's not tearing down a woman. It's just explaining some of the things that you and I can't fully comprehend. And I'll pull them together as we go through. But Paul clearly traces woman's submission all the way back in the order of creation and not just the fall. In Titus 2.5, it says to be sensible, 
pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so the word of God may not be dishonored. It's important. Again, I, I love the fact when I was in business many years that my wife did help me in the business, but she was able to be home with our kids. And for those that can, that is a wonderful situation, but it's not necessarily mandatory. Because in this culture, sometimes it takes two families to support. And the problem, the consequences of that is sometimes the world is raising the kids instead of you raising the kids the way you want. Again, in 1 Peter 3, 6, and I'm just kind of giving some background. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and that's when usually the women get all excited, Lord, I'm not going to call my husband Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Sarah's obedience to Abraham was a model for other women, and and basically all that is is respect, not lord and master. And the problem is some men take that and, and they lord over their wives. They control them, micromanage, talk down to them. Talk to them as, is there just a possession, a thing? Now that word, subject, is used 40 times in the scripture. It means to subject, again, oneself. It, it has that concept of being put oneself under, okay? Not by compulsion, but a, a willingness. That means the, the women should want to come underneath the men. Now, when the guys were working on this, let me make a confession. I'm not a carpenter. I'm not a construction worker. I haven't done physical things in the same way. And, and what I did is I had to put myself under them. Oh, you need a piece of wood. Let me help. It's sweep the floor. It's just wanting to help and hold up the arms of those that are doing it. It's not something lesser, being lesser. But these men were called to do these things. They were given that grace, that ability to do that work. I don't have that ability. So what I do is I fall in a sense and rank underneath them, and that's what he's talking about. We just subject ourselves. What makes a good leader? Anyone know? Being a good follower. Because that's what we do is we follow Jesus Christ. Anyone who follows Jesus Christ will make a good leader. They can say, follow me as I follow Christ Jesus. That's our calling. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, the term, again, subjection, we see it in Luke 2.51. And it says there that Jesus' subjection, he was in subjection to his parents. He was under the authority of his parents. Even Jesus submitted himself. It was the will of the Father that he would come. He would come. Or in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it's possible to take this cup, he's referring to the cup of suffering away. If it's possible, take it away. Nevertheless, your will, not my will. See, every one of us are called to submit in some capacity. It's also in Luke 10, verses 17 and 20, and describes that demons are, were subject to the disciples. They had this authority over them given in this case. Again, in Romans 8, 7, Paul employs the word to speak of being submissive to the commands of the Lord. We put ourselves under the, the word of God. And then in Romans 13, 1, in verse 5, it, it again refers to the, the importance and necessity in submission to the governing authorities. Putting ourselves under those authorities. Because God is the one that has raised up those authorities, those leaders. That means if you are going too fast, you've got the flying fish on the back of your car and you get stopped, that you submit to that policeman. And you thank him for doing the job because he saves many people's lives. God has raised him up. Now, it's interesting as we go along, it doesn't mean that we're going to be submissive in every case. See, Paul's word to his wives is be submissive to your own husbands. That's really important. I hope you circled it, underlined it, because there are some men that try and, and you need to submit to me, to somebody else's wife or a single. The Bible never teaches that. 
Now, if we're serving together, moving together, you know, in, in, in a loving way, someone say, well, this is what we need to do. We, we submit. But not when someone is making demands of you, ladies. No. I don't expect you to submit to me, but to the word of God. That's what we want. Now, again, Ephesians 5.22 adds the word own, and, 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 and that's good. It's, it's unique in that sense, and it means exclusive submission. There's something that is unique in that marriage situation. But you are the same. You are equal. It's only a rank. Galatians 3.28 clearly affirms the, the, the spiritual side that there's no difference between male and female. Men need to listen to that because I've seen some men that are horrid treat their women horribly. I must confess, I've wanted to pick up a board and hit some of these guys, but I didn't. I confessed. Because that's not how God would have us treat our wives or even anyone. Jesus, again, as I mentioned, submitted to his father during his whole life. But he's equal with the father. Everything that the father is, Jesus is. Next, and I've already kind of mentioned in a way, submission is not absolute in every situation. There are many times when a wife can refuse to submit to her husband's desires if it violates the very word of God. And I've known women that their husbands have wanted to do something maybe immoral, and they're married to maybe an unbeliever, and they have to make a decision. Will they submit to their husband? And, and some of them try and hold to that, and they know that they're wrong. But if your husband ever asks you to do anything that would violate the very word of God, who God is, his character, nature, you don't. And you trust the Lord. You, you cast your cares upon him, and, and he will take care of you. Finally, husband's authority is, is not to be exercised in this authoritative or lording over or overbearing, speaking down, saying, you've got to do that. If someone says that to you, you've got to do that. There's something that stands up inside you, and, and you know, like a little kid inside you, you're holding your arms. I'm not going to do that. At least that's what happens inside me when somebody demands. But if someone asks me to do something, I, I want to do it. And we're going to see that should be the motive. And, and, and it goes on again that, that the wife's submission is to be within a, a loving relationship. That's key. A loving relationship where the husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church. Wives are to submit to their husbands, again, it says in the text, because it's fitting to the Lord. It's fitting to the Lord, and it expresses that obligation and really a necessity. It's something you are to do because this pleases the Lord. When you just fall in rank under your husband, when he's leading you spiritually, when that husband is loving you and he loves you and he lay down his life, that you want to follow, you lovingly submit yourself to him. Again, the Lord changes in verse 18 a word to the husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. I'm going to read from Weiss, and it's not on the screen. He quotes this verse in Colossians 3.19. He's a Greek scholar, and he says, Husbands, be loving your wives with a divine love, which impels you to deny yourself for their benefit, and stop being bitter and harsh to them. You know that idea is that, that the love that a husband is to give his wife, this is a command, husbands, to love with that same love of God. It's a divine love. It, it's pouring your love out to them. And this love, if you are loving them with this agape love, what the scripture is speaking of, it impels you, it moves you to deny yourself you want to bless them. You want to encourage them. You want to help them. You don't want to lord over them. See, when a man does that, then a woman will submit. She knows that her husband wants the best for her, 
best for the children. That's what we're talking about here. He says, stop being bitter. See, that's our flesh. That's our carnality. Some of them were being bitter. Well, they don't respond the way they want. They don't do what they want. It should not be in us, man. That bitterness, is, it's, it's a sadness. Stop and think, in spite of all the, the failings of the church, and there are times that the church has just done things in the name of Jesus Christ that would, must make God grieve, cringe. But Christ continually loved the church with grace and mercy day in and day out. He's never become bitter with the church because of the church sins. There are many sins, in fact. He loves you with a perfect love day in and day out. It's kind of like a mother's love in a sense. Uh, no matter what your son, your daughter does and they go out, there's a mother's love that you, it's your child and you'll always love them. You don't agree with them. You may grieve, but you still love them. God set his love upon the church. What is the church? Not this building, but us. He set his love upon you and me. And he's never taken it away. He loves you with that perfect love. See, the love he's talking about is, is agape love. It's a, a love of choice. And this is important. It's a love of choice. It's a, a covenant kind of love. It agrees that I, I'm, I, I'm going to love you Till death does his part. You don't take it back. I don't love you one day and not love you the next day. You give that love and you never take it back. It's the love that you see when you look at the cross at Calvary. A love not only denies itself, but gives itself completely for others. It's a love that's produced in the heart of, of a saint by the Holy Spirit. It's something that the Holy Spirit pours into your heart, my heart. I don't know if you've ever stopped to say, Lord, pour your love into my heart. I, I want to be more loving. This is the kind of love that Jesus loves you and me with. This is the love that a husband is to love his wife. And, and any man that lived that way, his wife has no problem falling underneath, submitting to. Because she knows her husband loves her. This love, it, it expresses in this, this constant love, even when we're unworthy. There have been times in my life when I've been unworthy of my wife's love, but she continued to love me. Maybe your kids have been that way. That's the kind of love it's talking about. This is that divine love, and this is how God's love is. We're unworthy of his love, but yet he's poured his love upon us. It's a love that causes a husband to sacrifice his own desires, dreams, for that of his wife and his family. I know he's wanted that fishing boat, or he's wanting this special vacation, but he gives all that up for his wife. This is the love that we're talking about. So first, husbands must love their wives. It's a command. You're married, you're to love your wife with that same love that you first fell in love with them. And true love is willing to wait. Wait for love. Don't try and make it happen. The love that existed from the, that start of the marriage is, is what we are to continue to have. Now, First Peter 3, 7 is one of the cross-references. It says, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as fellow heir of grace of life. So your prayers will not be hindered. Now, it's important to understand that husbands, we need to be understanding there was a book, it was written, um, it was about this thick. It's everything that I ever learned about a woman, about my wife. Anyone ever read that? Anyone ever look at it? Because when he opens it up, it's blank page after blank page after blank page. And he's saying, I don't really understand. I really don't know even after all these years. 
because that's the balance that brings into a marriage when we are understanding and we learn to listen and sometimes even follow our wives. Now, it's confusing, sometimes weaker, and there's many explanations. Sometimes they talk about the the physicalness. Sometimes they talk about the emotions. Emotionally, they're just going to react to these different things. And I think these could be true with different women in different ways. But the fact is, we're to be understanding. She's a woman. We're to honor her. In fact, she is your sister in the Lord. That's the bottom line. You may not always agree, but you love, and you don't take it back. In Genesis twenty four sixty seven, then Isaac brought her to his mother's Sarah's tent. This is his wife, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her, and thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Wives, you're to comfort your husbands. And husbands, when you love your wives, they won't want to comfort you. They'll want to carry the baggage and the burden from you. I wouldn't want to be without my wife. She's to become your best friend, your companion, a life partner. All of those things is what we are with Jesus. He saved us so we could be these things. This love that I'm talking about, it, 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 when it's natural, it's, it's beautiful, it's spoken about in Ephesians 5.22 through 28. You can read it later. God designed the wife that her, her submission is to be in the context of this loving relationship when the husband just pours his love. It's natural. It's beautiful. And there's a couple on the mainland when I go and I stay at their house. And, and I've, I've, I've seen very few marriages like this marriage. Not only the marriage, but their kids, their family, because they're, they're doing their best to follow God's plan. And every time that I visit them, they're in the ministry, I'm challenged, I'm encouraged. And I see them growing in that love for each other and the, and the love for the Lord. So the the godly husband loves his wife with the love that Christ loves his church. Again, it says, be not bitter. It's interesting, when love weakens, you ever felt like you weren't in love with your husband or your boyfriend? I just don't love them. Bitterness begins to set in. Bitterness begins to set in. and, and, And it says, do not be bitter against him. Bitterness is the opposite of sweetness. That love brings a sweetness not only to that marriage, to that family, to those around, as I mentioned with that family. They must not display the harshness, the temper, resentment so common in marriages. 1 Corinthians 7.33, not on the screen, Paul writes that a husband is to seek to find how he may please his wife. Guys, grab that. Ladies, you'd like your husband to love you like that. I want to cultivate that love. See, sometimes we let bitterness creep in, and that's what he's warning against. We must not display that harshness of temper, resentment. We need to look how we can please them. The way a woman pleases her husband is through loving submission. The way that a a man pleases a woman is really think about this lovingly in authority, leading her in love because she'll just fall in underneath that. Just lead them in love. Lead them into green pastures. Lead them into assurance and, and comfort. Letting them know that how special, how important they are. Again, there's a word to the children here. It's in verse 20. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Are there any children here today? Here's a hint. Every one of us are a child. (laughs) 
we've all been children. I, I know when I became a believer and there was a lot of friction in my family. I, I came from a dysfunctional family and I think there's more dysfunctional families than not. But man, when I started to read, no matter the division and the problems there were, I started drawing close. I started falling in rank, even at an older age. Even when they, they tried to control me when I was 45 years old. But as I began to find that position, that richness of love began to kindle a fire all over of a child with a, a parent. There's a parallel text for this also in Ephesians 6. One, children obey your parents in the Lord, for that is right. So Paul turns to this next relationship, and it's, it's parents and children. And most of us will have children. The relationship cannot be right unless there's a relationship between a, a husband and wife. When that relationship's right, it, it's a natural flowing down to the kids. Now, the word for children is a general term. It refers to those who are not just still dependent upon their parents for those daily physical needs in certain parts to do because you do have to go out on your own and do your own thing, but still to show honor and respect and, and follow their lead in certain things. Pray, and when they spiritually speak, listen to them. The word obey is in the present tense. It's imperative. It, it means to be under and hear, and that's important, referring to that continual obedient, obedience, ongoing, day in and day out, not picking and choosing. In fact, Galatians 4, 1 and 2 says this, Now I say, as long as an heir is a child, he does not differ from a slave, although he is owner of everything, but he is under, notice, the guardians and managers till the date set by the father. So there's under that authority. That's what a child is. Exodus 20, 12 says this, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged into the land which the Lord your God gives you. I thought about that this week, and Glenn Hathaway is, he is our senior saint, unable to be here because of his age. He's getting close to 100. And I thought, Lord, <laughs> did he honor his parents? You know, some live long. Well, there's also a responsibility of the parents to the children. Stop and think about it. And I'm read from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and they shall talk to them when they sit in the house, and when you walk in the way, and when they lie down, and when you rise up. Sadly, I was thinking about a, a family I knew, and the father said, yeah, they, my children have to make their own choice. I'm not going to let them see my faith or whatever. And he make all these excuses for not sharing the faith. And the kids lived a riotous life so far from God. As parents, we can have such influence upon our kids. Kids will still choose to do what they want to do. But if they see God in their life and then we're dealing with them through the word of God, it makes a difference in their life. Now, the motive for obedience is, is again, to children is, is to be well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, that starts when those kids are very little. You begin to teach them, you know, we do this unto the Lord because we want to please God. And kids begin to learn that. We need to be godly parents. We weren't believers at that time, but when we become believers, we chose to do what's right, and we saw that forming in her daughter's heart, and she still is walking with the Lord, and my son's still walking with the Lord. It's so important. Teach them to obey. Teach them the importance. Maybe our grandmother or grandfather, sit and talk with them and go through, again, that passage that I gave you in Deuteronomy. Again, Matthew 3.17 says this, And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. 
the Father for heaven speaking about Jesus, who I'm well pleased with. I think it's also important as fathers and mothers to, when you see your kids doing something good and, and to just say, you know, that just blesses my heart. That, that pleases me. It's so good to see you doing that or, or what you did with your friend. You need to encourage them. You need to build them up. Well, there's a word to the parents here, but it starts with this word. Again, fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may lose heart. Now, that word for fathers can apply to women, but in reality, it takes a father and a mother to deal with the children. If there's a problem when you're you know, with the kids, whether you're the mom or your father or grandpa or grandma, you need to deal with them in a loving way. Well, again, the verse, it reflects again the teaching from Ephesians 6, 4, where it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's a duty in the relationship, and it's not one-sided. Parents have this obligation to their children. And you can see those parents who spent time with their kids. In fact, when God was drawing me to himself, I, I had a, not only a wholesale business, I had a retail business, and I used to see this family come in and, and uh, into the nursery, and, and I looked, and, and there was something different about that family. They had to be Christians. And it was that family that God was using to draw me back. And I went back to church with them for a while. Our lives should reflect Jesus Christ. So again, this word fathers could be translated parents. In fact, Paul's words, again, do not exasperate your children. He gives this idea, provoke or irritate the kids. Another way to phrase Paul's command is to stop nagging your kids man when I've been in Walmart and I don't know maybe it's just a Walmart but it seems like there's some parents that are just yelling and screaming at their kids whacking them and continually hitting them and I'm looking what did they even do wrong absolutely nothing well failure to obey this can cause children important catch this to lose heart is what the scripture is teaching us. The idea is the term is to, to be without courage, without spirit. It's to break, you're breaking the spirit of that person in the sense of being listless or sullen or discouraged or despairing, ending up in many different ways from what their parents really wanted. Their parents drove them to this lifestyle. Again, pulled some notes from a, a book called uh, Between a Parent and a Child. It says first parents can exasperate their children by overprotection. Watching, just overriding them, protecting them too much from this world. We're to prepare our kids to go into this world, and that's important to understand. Not to be overprotective, but to allow some freedom to our kids Parents can exasperate their children by showing favoritism, that you love one child more than the other child. By comparing one child doing better than the other child. Or there's a, a black sheep of the, the family, leaving the child in, in frustration. There's parents, again, um, depreciating their, their, their worth, convincing the child, well, you're not beautiful, you're not this, you're not that, and, and talking down. And, and kids sometimes just give up, quit trying. They get so discouraged, and sometimes they become shy, and they turn in and withdraw, not only from the family, but from, from other kids. Parents exasperate their children by setting unrealistic goals. If you, ha you have to do this, and if you don't, then you're a failure. Go to a, at least when I went to T-ball, when my son was in T-ball, the things that, some of those parents were horrible. They didn't let the kids be kids. Expecting them to be, you know, to strike every kid out or to catch every ball. They're kids. They're there to have fun and learn to work together in these relationships. But 
I think they need to get rid of the parents at that point, ban them from the, the course and let the kids be kids. Sometimes you can exasperate your kids by not providing their needs. And sometimes parents have all their own greeds and, and they never provide anything and, and care for those kids. You can exasperate your kids by a lack of standards. Uh, the flip side of overprotection. I had a friend that when I was in high school, his parents would just give him money, give him the whole house, and he just partied like crazy with all kinds of drugs experimenting. And he just knew his parents didn't care. They just gave him money, gave him whatever he wanted. And they felt unloved. Parents can exasperate their kids with just constant criticism. Child learns what he lives. He lives with criticism. He doesn't learn responsibility. When they grow up, he learns to condemn others find fault with others, to doubt the judgment, distrust others, always fault-finding. Parents can exasperate their children by simply neglect. And if you look at the story of David and Absalom, the rebellion of his own son to the, to the family, and finally, parents can exasperate their children by excessive discipline. This is the parent who abuses his children either verbally, emotionally, even physically. But something that I found in, in my own life in, in being a, a parent after I, I became a believer, when you want to do the right thing, even if you don't know how to do it, God will put it in your heart. God not only will put it in your heart, God will put it in your mouth. One night, my daughter had fallen asleep at someone's house and she didn't call and it's like four o'clock in the morning she wakes up and nervous and she's driving home and she ran into the six mile marker at that time we lived in Popaiko totaled out the vehicle and somebody picked her up afterwards she was okay she comes in the house she's crying and she was weeping I totaled the car and this was not me I'm going to tell you I just simply said I didn't like that car anyways and it took the pressure off of her as parents, we're supposed to do this. See, when you want to do the right thing and you love your kids, God will give you the words. He will give you the peace. You don't have to have it all together. All you need to have is Jesus Christ and say, God, I want to do the right thing. Well, let me read a, a law put, again, a, uh, maybe a poem or just a catchy thing. Children learn by what they live. If a child lives with criticism, he learns to condemn. If a child lives with hostility, he learns to fight. If a child lives with ridicule, he learns to be shy. If a child lives with shame, he learns to feel guilty. If a child lives with tolerance, he learns to be patient. If a child lives with encouragement, he learns confidence. If a child lives with praise, he learns to appreciate. If a child lives with fairness, he learns justice. If a child lives with security, he learns to have faith. If a child lives with approval, he learns to like himself. If a child lives with acceptance and friendship, he learns to find love in this world. Again, Scripture makes it clear, don't exasperate your kids, but build them. What's well, in verse 22? It says, Slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service or those merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, whatever you do, do your work heartily unto the Lord. Now I'm going to just stop there for a second. And in, in, in that period of time in the Roman Empire, if you were in the Roman Empire, half of you here would be slaves. Doctors were slaves, attorneys were slaves, everyone was slaves. And he's talking now this relationship of, of, of slaves or servants we would apply it today. And that it, it can kind of be fitting with us, just the, the workers together. But, but there's this idea of, of submission. And the parallel runs in Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, and you can follow that later. But rather than commanding the slaves to rebel and overthrow slavery, he says in all things obey those 
who are masters over you on earth. It's, it's what we're to do. It's pleasing to God. We do it unto God. It means like if you're, you're a worker, and just imagine this. There some people I know that were on my, uh, on my, worked for me in the nursery, and, and I could be standing and watching them, and they're just kind of lollygogging around. But as soon as I kind of make myself known, they stand up and act like they've been working the whole time. He's saying, look, we are to be the best workers. People need to see what a Christian, honorable, respectable, responsible, we should be the best workers. And when we work, even if we have unfair masters, we do it unto the Lord. God will deal with them, and God will deal with us. In all things, we are to do this. Not just to to be men pleasers, but to be the best employees, because this is what pleases God. We're to do it sincerity from our heart. And then finally, I want to call your attention to us in chapter 4, in verse 1, a word to masters. Masters, grant your slave justice and fairness, knowing you too have a master in heaven. See, on the, the other side of this relationship, masters are to treat their slaves with justice and fairness, and they should treat them in the way that they would want to be treated, the way that they believe their master in heaven treats them. They're to treat their employees like they desire the Lord to treat them, to display those characteristics. And believers would indeed are to become lights unto this world by the deeds they do. So what does the Lord want us to do? The Lord wants us to submit to one another. The Lord wants us to bloom where we're at. God wants us to manifest his love. Let his love be poured into our hearts and love one another. For wives, submit yourself to your husbands. Husbands, you're to love your wives that your wives want to do it. You never force them. It, that, that idea of submission is something the voluntary willingly do. When a husband sees that and, and the husband's loving, you have that perfect relationship that falls down to our kids. Our kids learn from that. When I first got married, I came from a dysfunctional family. The marriage is that way. My wife was that way. We didn't know how to love one another. The world needs to see what a godly marriage looks like. And that's going to then affect our kids and how that relationship that you have with your, your, your spouse will affect them. And then you raise them up. They will be good workers. And they will honor the Lord. And those that become, again, those that were employers, they then will respectful. It starts right here in each of our own hearts. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this text. All that you have provided, all that you have done for us, Lord, We want to be the the wives, the husbands, the children, the workers, the masters that are pleasing to you. We want to hear those words from you, good and faithful servant. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.